And if I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your way. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today I have a guest who is a rising star in the world of comedy. And you will hear about him and his background next, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today's guest is a uh, up and rising comic, or should I even say that about comics? And uh, I'm finding, as we were talking before we started, I'm finding other things out about uh, the young man because he's already been at work. And if you know comics, most of them are still sleeping. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Greg Coleman the second. How you doing, Greg? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Well, let me start this interview off with a short story for you. I um, interviewed you before on the Tom Bernard podcast. Yeah. And a couple of weeks after that, I ran into your parents out having dinner. <laughs> That, that tends to happen out in, <laughs> up in Minneapolis. Right. And it was, I was like, I got to go talk to them. But I was like, this is going to be kind of strange or strained because uh, if anybody really listens to Tom, there's a struggle between him and your dad. They don't seem eye to eye about a lot of things. So I went over, introduced myself, told them how um, 
how I met you and interviewed you and this look on your dad's face like and then I said but I just want to let you know you guys have raised a wonderful young man and he he was just wonderful on air <laughs> and it just de-escalated everything right away so <laughs> so I just want uh... Uh, that's good. I'm glad that it got flipped on him because <laughs> normally it's people. Hey, I saw your dad back in 1987. He's like, all right, man, cool. I was, I was four. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell him you said hello. <laughs> no, this is, this is within the last year or so. So. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how are things? Uh, things are things are going well. Things are going well. I mean, despite. You know, the global pandemic that we're still in, right. um, you know, it's it's been all right. It opened some doors, you know, clubs and stuff like that were shut down, but they're kind of back open back now and scheduling now as far as we can see. And, uh, right. I don't know. It was all right. I was able to work on a TV show with Wanda Sykes over uh, the last six months, so that's been good and ramping up to release an album okay. uh, September 1st, so... Yeah, having a baby in September just wow. moved. So yeah, things are moving. things are <laughs> things are kind of going fast. Where I'm able to kind of like peek my head up right, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all, all all positive things considering what's going on. All right. Well, I normally let my guests, and you've kind of done some of it, give a uh, origin story on uh, on their life. So um, for people who don't know. This is Greg Coleman the second. So you want to talk about your life growing up with Greg Coleman the first or senior? Oh. Yeah, I mean for real, it just felt like my normal life. I mean, it's a little bit of um a different normal if you look at it in context of today. Right. Um, you know, growing up with a professional athlete oh pretty well known you know especially you know throughout the league and mm-hmm. especially in minnesota with all the community work and television and media work uh that my pops has done but also you know my mom with in public education within the um, you know um Minneapolis, uh, public schools and i did some youth work so it was kind of like either in entertainment ran into people who was like oh i seen your dad or you know viking stuff and or, you know, when I was in youth development, oh, I've worked with your mom, and I know you've done this. I was like, dang, I can't slide nowhere no. without <laughs> nobody hearing hearing anything. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say it's a pretty unique experience just for, you know, like the exposure to some of the stuff I got to see and where I got to go and some of the stuff that people seem um, interested in within, you know, the popularity of uh, – professional athletes and had an uncle who was in MLB. Oh, um, I didn't. Oh, that's right. Vince. Yeah. yeah so yeah. half my audience is, uh, in St. Louis. So, oh, okay. <laughs> we're all yeah. huge Cardinal fans and we're all huge Vince Coleman fans. So believe me, you know, uh, yeah. that's where I was, uh, born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. So I forgot you guys oh. were related to, to Vince. Yep, those St. Paul or St. Louis Steeler, Mr. Bass Steeler back in the day. Right. And also, yeah, I was uh, I was in St. Louis last year, and at the club Helium out there, and had a pretty good time. But I think we have the show at the right day because the next day I think 
like the mall got shot up and oh, then he okay. shut the club down. Oh. So it was like, oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> well, that's sad to hear. Yeah. I didn't hear about that. but um... Yeah, I don't think any. I think it was just kids out in the parking lot being, uh, yeah. yeah. But, but besides that, you know, uh, I have fond memories of being in St. Louis as a kid. Uh, just running around the clubhouse with, you know, seeing guys like uh, Willie McGee and right. uh, and the Wizard, um, yep. Ozzy, and mm-hmm. like those kind of experiences seem, you know, big. But you know, to me, that was just kind of like life. Like these these dudes are my uncles, right? You know, like <laughs> I remember went on a family ski trip with Willie McGee and watching Willie trying to ski, standing six foot six, look like Bullwinkle. <laughs> Bullwinkle on stilts, like, right. like, all right, this is, that's like parts of stuff that I uh, get to see and I can reflect now and be like, oh, yeah, that was kind of unique. But like, as a kid, it was just like, oh, okay. Like, well, you know. Willie never looked that tall because of the way he walked and stood. It was like, yeah. Willie looked like an old man when he was 26. So, yeah. <laughs> um, now, and for my St. Louis audience, uh, Greg's dad, is a former Vikings punter for many, many years. And now he's part of the Vikings broadcast team on radio here in the Twin Cities. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Um, also, I mean, I'll give him his plug real quick. But then after that, it's like, yeah, I got to have him to push. But no, he was just inducted into the uh, Black College Hall of Fame. Oh. Um, Where did he go? To school? uh, He went to Florida A&M. Same as Vince. <laughs> I'm laughing yeah. because there's a 21 year old young lady down there, mm-hmm. in her going into her senior year. My daughter. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. My niece just graduated uh, from their undergrad, so she's going to get a master's. So you know, fam. Yeah. They seem to <laughs> they seem to really enjoy it. I was I was close. I almost took a visit, but like I was like, man. Fan might be a little too much for me. Right. Yeah. Like, I knew, I knew what I where where I was capable. Is like you know the football stuff, fine. But mm-hmm. after the football, like there's too many options, too much stuff to get into. <laughs> so, did, um, so did you play college football somewhere? Yeah, I played at uh, HBC in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, my yeah. my daughter uh, wanted to come to the University of Minnesota as she was uh, born here in the Twin Cities, but mostly raised in St. Louis because her mother moved back to St. Louis. And um, that didn't work out because of some issues applying to yeah. – um, she uh, applied to the School of Microcell Biology, and it was like, whoa, wait a minute – just get in the university first, but she didn't get there, yeah. and she went to her fallback plan, which was just fine, you know. Yeah. So, no, that's <laughs> boy. You talk to yeah, people. I think she. I think she's happy. Yes. With very. the choice that she that she made, like I remember, I was like, you know what? Let me go as far as away yes. as I like. I need a phone call. Like the parents right. just can't pop up. Mm-hmm. Like they're gonna have to coordinate. And I'll have time to clean up. But, you know, Jacksonville is where my family was. So, like, my grandma would just pop up. 
mm-hmm. at the dorm and like dragged me and my hungover roommates to church. Oh, <laughs> like, I was like, oh God. I was like, how'd you get a key? She's like, I'm grandma. Y'all get up. No, I'm like, pray, pray off your night. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh man, that had to be rough. No, yeah. if she was here, I wouldn't be one of those pop-up parents. I, you know, I have a son that lives in Richfield and I'm not a pop-up parent. It's like, they're doing sure. their own thing. And if something's yeah. wrong, I'll hear from it. My mother used to say that about me because people would say, you know. I'll hear from you when I want something, when you right. want something. Or when something's wrong. And she goes, I, she told me one day, she goes, I know you were always fine because I never heard from you. Right. I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. I have the no news is good news, right? Right. So. Yeah, that's a, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that's just uh, the, the how it is and kind of how it should be. Like I, I um, like I like the freedom that I I would say that my folks gave me growing up. Maybe it was a little bit too much right. freedom because you know I ended up being a stand-up comedian. <laughs> like I'm sure they weren't like, oh, we we weren't expecting this. Like I was going to ask but, you about that. Um, yeah. One quick question. You said you're expecting. Do you guys know the sex of the baby? Uh, it's a girl. No. Hashtag girl dad. Yeah, well, I always ask, and I don't own one myself, but I always add, ask uh, dads of uh, daughters or future daughters, do you have a gun? <laughs> oh. <laughs> that was before the daughter, a whole other oh. situation. But, you know what I mean? Once we, uh, I'm going to get one with uh, with the numbers not chipped out. Okay. Then, uh... <laughs> Remember, people, he's a uh, comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Comic. Right, yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask the, the, the question that's asked every comic. How did you get started? Uh, trauma. You know, a lot of childhood trauma. No. Um, <laughs> honestly, like, I always had an attraction to stand-up and funny mm-hmm. stuff. It was kind of like, I was kind of the kid. Like, I was always, like, the tallest kid in class up until, like, eighth grade. Okay. When everybody else shot up. So it was like, I always stood out there and had a deep voice. And, you know, like, I thought, like, sports was fun. I was good at it. It was cool. But there was always something about funny. And I was kind of that kid who had, like, I would try to make the teachers laugh. Like, and you know, get in trouble every once in a while for, like, hey, that's a little bit, mm-hmm. that's a little bit older than you should be talking about. But <laughs> I I like to see what I could get away with. Right. Um, With talking. So there was always a piece of that that stuck with me. Um, and you know, even through college, like, honestly, my plan was like, cause I didn't know how to just be a standup back in the day. So I was like, okay, how about this? I play football and I go to the league. Like, I don't gotta be a star. I just gotta get there. And I got to crush in interviews, just crushing interviews. So then that way I get more camera time and then maybe make that transition to right. uh, like TV sports broadcaster. And then get into movies. Like, it was, I was basically trying to be OJ without, you know, the Las Vegas situation. Right. Um, no. <laughs> I, it, but that was, like, that was kind of the the rough blueprint. I was like, all right, right I'm going to be OJ, you know, without the Bronco. But, right. um, 
Yeah, because it seemed like now I'm looking at it, I was like, dude, you should just went to a comedy club, but it was like, oh, like, right. You know, like my pops played, and then he did commentary and TV stuff, and it's just like I just didn't know, like, hey, go to a comedy club. Um, so, like, just entertainment was always a thing in college. I started doing everything you could do around entertainment except stand up. Like, I would be uh, like hosting television shows, and then me and some buddies of mine like made sketch comedy shows right like so i would be that dude like you know football practice but like back in the day all the tech and comedy people were like kind of nerdy and like here i was kind of the jock dude like yep after practice all right i gotta get to the studio let's go make this let's go make that and so that kind of um was more my like yeah i enjoy this more so than getting concussions and having three practices a day um and like I watched game film, and I was like, "Oh yeah, man, I'm not going to the league. I'm not. <laughs> I was like, I'm not working hard enough or have the talent to do that. So um, I'd always kind of like stayed in that realm. Right. And it wasn't until uh, I was got an internship at the old B96 station, um, and I was a part of the Tony Fly morning show. Okay. And the day that I started interning on the morning show was also the day that they started making a uh, television show. And I had the skills to do the TV stuff. Um, so they're like, all right, man, come back tomorrow. And I ended up directing the TV show. But, you know, along with that, like, you know, like, you know how it is, like on the Bernard, like it's an ensemble. Yes. Uh, and me and the cameraman, we had a really good rapport and we're just kind of like the goofy young dudes and you know how like you write bits and stuff like that in radio um and it's all about timing you know like oh i got 15 seconds for this rap to Mm -hmm. say something and you know hit the post or hit the mark um so with that stuff you know we all just gotta i would throw jokes in here and like oh tony would use a joke and b right would use a joke and you know all these are funny people and then so Miss Shannon and we also had a intern, uh, Tiffany Norton, who was also a comedian, and was on uh, I believe ninety five or KQ, or something like that. But Shannon was like, "Greg, you know you want to do comedy, mm-hmm. just go to a, just go to a club." I was like, oh, "All right, Shannon, yeah, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe." She's like, "Dude, just do it. Like you're doing bits here all the time. Just go to a club." And so like I went to. I went to go watch a lot of stand-up. Like, I, I was kind of that person. Like, I'd start mm-hmm. going out to the Friday night free shows at the CCU and, um, you know, all that stuff. And I just kind of, like, watched for, like, six months. And then I found out where some open mics were. And then I was like, all right, cool. I'm a, I didn't tell anybody. I just went and did it and did it a couple times. And uh, I enjoyed the feedback, you know, no one threw any bananas at me. <laughs> Um, or you know any tomatoes or right. anything like that um so yeah i kind of started building from there and like i feel like i always kind of had that like i always kind of like gravitated more towards the comedian's outlook mm-hmm. you know some people would say whether it's um global thinking or uh defiance you know like i was a huge chris rock fan still am on you know like dave chappelle like i was on that like way before the chappelle show like back in his 
1996 Young Comics right. and Aspen stuff. So, you know, those are kind of the people I'm uh, uh, lean towards. More kind of like the, like, nerdy type, if you if you could say that. Like him and Tony Woods, like, those are the guys I paid attention to. Like, you know, like Martin was huge at the time. Chris Tucker was huge at the time. And I was like, yeah, they're they're funny. I get it. But I was like, the presentation, I wasn't necessarily super attracted to that presentation. But I was attracted to, like, the the offbeat and the early Dion Cole and, uh, you know, Bill Burr and guys like that, uh, Patrice O'Neill. So I feel like, you know, there's some pseudo molding of just like comedic thought and comedic uh, pace, you know, from those guys. So, um, you know, that's kind of the boring origin story. (laughs) Well, no, that's, hey, everybody's story is different and everybody's story is interesting. Um, just real quick before I ask my next uh, question, I spent 22 years at KQ myself, so on the morning yeah. show. Oh yeah. So I just um, I understand that whole radio business. Uh, next question. Uh, it's kind of the 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 second question that comics are asked a lot. The great debate: Are mm-hmm. you born funny, or can you learn it? Um, I think it's a combination of both. You know, I, I, I think you can learn, you can learn funny, but I feel like the learned funny is formulaic and it, there's a place for it because it helps because people who can learn funny, they're like, Oh, okay. I know these are the beats of a joke. And if you do it, long enough either you become hack or it's just like oh yeah i know how to do this you know but either or like it's not i'm not going to get into that debate ah that's funny that's hack that's whatever mm-hmm. like you can get a reaction right you know some people are just fine with being a reaction not being like listen i'm not the funniest guy in the room but i know the art like there's an art to stand up and if some people can figure out that formula of okay, how to this plus this should equal that. Like, I kind of get jealous of those, like, learned funny type guys who can just, like, write a joke. Like, just bing, bing, bing. Because, like, mine is very much like it comes from, like, I hate to sound like this dude, but it comes from somewhere inside. I spew it out. Mm -hmm. I get the reactions. And then you mold it. But the molding part is where the, like, learned funny stuff comes in. Like, all right, word economy. Let me take this, let me take this out. How do I get to the funny fast? Um, so, you know, I, I believe that there's room, that there's room for both. And sometimes there's a lot of comedians who aren't like the funny, funny guy when they're off stage, you know? You're right. Um, and yeah, and that's, that's fine. Like I kind of like to lean into that sometimes when people like I've been out somewhere and like we've been, hanging out and talking and someone's like oh yeah greg's a comedian like you're a comedian you haven't said anything i was like yeah because i'm sitting here watching y'all silly stuff (laughs) like just shutting up and getting my ammo just in case i gotta turn it on um so i mean so yeah so that's my it's your job i mean it's not like um if you were a pro basketball player you're gonna be taking jump shots every time somebody sees you you know you know what you know what's crazy i was just at target and i saw okogi 
mm-hmm. and um, and another tall human being. And like I, I wanted to grab a wastebasket and be like, "Hey, hey, hey, dunk this!" <laughs> like, I was like, "No, nah, man, he's just trying to get some deodorant, right? And, you know, foot fungus and stuff like that." But yeah, like it's the it's the same thing. Like that's the most hated thing. A comic, oh, you're a comic. Tell me something. Like mm-hmm. unless it's vital. If I'm in a car in an Uber, it's nah, man. I'm a consultant. Like, because sometimes you don't want to talk about it all the time, and just some people get weird. And then you get those people. I was like, oh yeah, I'm funny too, and like try to funny fight you. And I was like, all right, right. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I had yeah. Kevin Bozeman on on my podcast, and we, oh yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> yes, and we talked about the fact that um, the one thing you don't ask a comic to do, especially when they're guests on your on your show, but in life in general, is all right, do your act. And it's like, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing most comics say, like, an act. Stop calling it an act right. if you're not in the, <laughs> in the business. Like, in the appropriate context. Right. I was like, it's not an act. <laughs> you know, or, 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 all right, get funny or be funny. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's not how it works. Now, I'm going to let you know, I am a uh, comic phobe. I love going to comedy shows. I love listening to podcasts of comics and and whatnot. Um, I'm a closet comic. I I tell people I would probably be a, a great writer. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could actually go out and do it, but um, I you know I see the pains and struggles that and the life from starting to you know or some would say making it and yeah. um, it's a it's a very interesting life yeah it, um, it definitely is because it's like there's no blueprint you know there's things that you should do to try to stay away from but it's like yeah like I say like being on stage is the, I won't say least important, but like when it comes to that idea of chasing the type of success, or like, oh, what's it mean to to make it? Like to be funny on stage is great. It gets you along. It gets you. It gets you in the door. But the stuff that gets you to the success is, you know, how you maneuver, how you mm-hmm. can deal with clubs. Can you? How are you? with radio how are you in the car like that's that's a big thing i found out is like you know with headliners you know and you get to a certain get to a certain point where they can start bringing younger comics out it's like yo man anybody can be funny on stage for 20 minutes mm-hmm. like can we be in the car together for 36 hours for Ooh. this run you know like can we spend the day together or do like can we just like are you cool with not talking like, there's some guys who kind of want to be buddy-buddy on the road. Mm-hmm. There's some guys who are like, all right, man, I'll see you in the green room and before the show, after the show, and kind of, like, let you do your thing. But that's all stuff you got to kind of learn, especially when you're coming up. Um, and, you know, like, little stuff like, hey, like, call some people back. Who call you? Or, you know, like, not put too much expectations on anybody else. Like, it's all the other stuff. Like, can you return an email? Like, that's been my biggest thing. It's like, yo, return this email. Return this call. 
like turn that in by the deadline. Um, like all that stuff really counts when it comes to the climb, which makes it, you know, a little bit different. But like everybody has their own path, so right. I think kind of once you can figure out what your path is, you know, it makes it a little bit easier. But sometimes, like it, it changes. Like it's a very tough, <laughs> tough thing to plan out. You know. Yeah, because like, oh, you never know. Like, I was going to get a job during the pandemic, mm-hmm. and on my way to the interview, I got a call from you know someone like, "Hey, would you like to work on the show with one of the sites?" And it was like, "Yes." Like, I wasn't <laughs> planning that. Like, I went back home, right? And my wife was like, "How'd the interview go?" I was like, "Oh, I didn't go to it." She said, "What? <laughs> what do you mean you didn't go to it?" I was like, "I got a phone call, and someone asked me if I wanted to work on a TV show." And she's like, wait, what? How did this even? I was like, oh, somebody I met two years ago right. said, hey, I'll keep you in mind for something. And they actually did. Yeah. You know? So, like, that's how stuff like that can can kind of, like, change your life and change um, your projection um, and your idea of, you know, what you think it's going to be. Some people, you know, get into TV and understand, like, Oh, maybe like the road isn't what I love, mm-hmm. you know, or I, I got a family. I want to be closer to home. I want to be home by this time. I can't be out till two, three in the morning, you know, hanging out, doing all that other stuff. Right. Um. So, yeah, man. It's, yeah. That, that's the toughest part is the navigation. Yeah. Like I... Being on stage. That's the most consistent. Part. Right. No, I heard Jeff Foxworthy talk about the fact that, you know, he had a sitcom and absolutely hated it. He would rather just do stand-up. And one of the people he interviewed was um, Jerry Seinfeld, and Jerry basically said the same thing. It was like, I just knew when it was time to put that show to bed and get back to what I really want to do, which was live stand-up comedy. Um yeah, because you look at it like when you stand up, it's just you making the decision. Like that's even a little small. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not putting myself on no Jerry Seinfeld or Fox, Jeff Foxworthy stuff, but like writing jokes for somebody else. Like, oh, okay, this is cool. I'm writing jokes. They're, I'm never gonna tell them, right? But they're for someone else, and then that has to go to the lead writer. And they're like, all right, if this gets through, then that goes through the producers. All right, this gets through. Does that go through the network? Oh, the network has notes about this or that. Like, there's all these different chambers and checkpoints that you got to go through to get a silly fart joke approved for a <laughs> for a for an internet right. clip. Like, you know, for a show based on TikTok. I was like, does network really need to be involved in? In this, in this part where, you know, I'm on stage and my only filter is me. The only barometer about what I can get away with or what I can say or what I can't say is the audience, you know, and my preparation. And even then, if you say something, the audience doesn't like it, it's already out there, you know. So I just deal with the reaction. Like, they're free to, you know, like, "Mm, no, we don't like that. That's fine. It's a gamble. It's a risk. But it's like there's no... Unless you're doing a corporate, like, right. there's no one telling you not what to do. So I can understand that frustration, and you think that it's going to be this or that, but you're like, man, like shooting TV, like I'm in a trailer most of the day, you know, working 
15, 20 minutes and then waiting an mm-hmm. hour. That's a lot of hurry up and wait when you're like, dude, I could just go do a spot, but you're like, I got call time at 5 a.m. Right. Yeah, so I can kind of get that. And you're seeing like a lot of comedians kind of moving away from that traditional, all right, go try to work on the sitcom. Go try to do this or that. Because they're like, dude, I got a podcast. I got 40,000 listeners a week, enough. I got enough, you know, advertisers to pay my bills. And I'm building my own audience. So if I go to Charlotte or go to St. Louis for a night, I can pull 200 people in that town, you know, for a one-nighter. So it's like, you know, what, like, like TV is always awesome and great, but it's, we're really seeing that it's not the end-all be-all. And we're seeing, like, people try to take more control of their careers uh, by, like, you know, a lot of do-it-yourself type stuff, like try to move around the industry. Um, you were mentioning traveling. How often are you on the road in a given year? Um, It's a bit up and down. So when I was before, so this is also great timing, obviously, comedies, you know, like tragedy plus time. Uh, last year, right before the pandemic, and on Valentine's Day, I quit my job uh, working at working out of school that I worked for for eight years, and they've been like super supportive of me and like let me kind of go on tour during like school school years. I was like, hey, I got this six week tour. I'll be back three days a week. But um, like, so yeah, what was it? Last Valentine's Day. So my schedule was I was on the road, I would say three out of four weeks uh, for the month, like three weeks on, one month off, four weeks on, or, you know, like I was booked out, I would say from March until about September. And I would say like 80, 80, 75, 80% of it was on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's been, yeah, I mean it's a it's a mix. I'm gonna be home a little bit more, you know, with the baby or a little bit closer right. uh, to home. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna start taking some more of those corporate gigs where it's all right, North Dakota for an hour, Iowa for a day, where it's like, okay, like you know, be a little bit close. Well, I'm starting to build out 2022 again and uh, starting to get back out there and trying to, you know, trying to get it. But yeah, there's. Definitely more and more travel each year. Um, are corporate um, gigs difficult? I hear comics talk about uh, corporate gigs and how they, and, you know, in some cases have to totally like clean up their act, which I find interesting in the sense of, you know, you have all, you know, in the comic world they talk about dirty versus clean. And so you yeah. may have all this dirty stuff in your act and how they can just hit a switch and completely clean it up. Yeah. So, well, I, yeah, I, I feel like, um, for, for, you know, like I've like, it's just a different muscle. Like corporates for the most part are the same. Like the treatment may be better from one corporate to the next. But the expectations of like, hey, we kind of want to clean a show because it's like, yeah, there's HR there. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, even though it's funny, like they're the dirtier people, like they want that stuff. But you're being hired to do a job. 
Right. And that's the part that that you got to decide as a comedian, like, okay. Because most people are doing corporates because, like, yo, it's really good money in a short amount of time. And if I if I can do three corporates, that's, like, five or six club weekends of traveling and staying in different hotels and doing shows with other people where it's like you don't know what the weekend's going to be. It's not that wild rock star. Mm-hmm life that gets you know promoted um yeah like it's a job like doing corporates is a job and yeah you just got to figure out like all right do i want to do i want to take this job i got to do the job if they ask me to be clean i'm gonna be clean you know and i i don't have a problem with clean comics and like i like to try to work clean sometimes cleanish like I do feel when I put that pressure of like try to be clean, I feel like sometimes I'm a little bit funnier, like a better, like I have a better set, maybe like a classic. Oh, this is what you're used to. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I move from joke to joke to joke to joke to joke a little bit faster than if I'm in a club and somewhere I'm comfortable. And it's like, all right, this is a shared experience here are my jokes, but you're also going to get my mood. You know, like if I'm in a spicy mood, oh, we might have a spicy show. If I'm in a silly mood, show might be more silly. But if it's, you know, like a corporate, I was like, the show is going to be the material. You know, you're going to get some of me. But if I'm feeling spicy, I was like, I can't go into the crowd. I mean, I can, but I want that check. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, you got to you got to eat and live and whatnot. How how difficult is it to travel? You talked about being in a car for 36 hours or different things. How That has got to be um, mentally tough. Uh, Yeah, like that's some of the stuff that you don't think about. That's why, like, you look around and you see comics who fall off sometimes. They're thinking, like, oh, it was the funny part. It was like, no, the other stuff. And Exactly, like, if you want to be that comic to try to build and try to get up, to you know another spot you're like yo i'm gonna have to do the road but it's it's been like it's like i like the traveling i i like the the flights a little bit more than (laughs) than the than the drives like those are the worst shows where it's like oh it's six hours away oh like all right i can drive six hours that's fine but is there a 45 minute plane ticket (laughs) you know and by the time you do the you know gotta get to the airport and all that stuff is like, oh, it's almost about the same amount of time. Right. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, I don't know. It just depends. It depends exactly, like, or not exactly, but, um, like, if I'm on the road, like, I was on the road with Chad Daniels. That was great because me and Chad <laughs> get along. Right. You know, and I feel like we both have a very similar uh, kind of temperature, mm-hmm. like, off stage, you know, and, like, never looking to, hey, blah, 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 look at me, look at me. And, you know, try to, you know, just be solid dudes. Um, um, so like that part makes it easier and, you know, being on the road, like being on the road, it's fun once, uh, once you get there, cause it's like, Oh, it's a new town. You have different experiences. You're seeing friends that you haven't seen in a while or in the airport running in the comics, um, Sunday, the Sunday morning meetup at some random airport in Cleveland. You're like, oh, yeah, what's up, man? Hey, how you been? Like, seeing people at festivals. So that part's fun. But, you know, like, at a certain point, I start jonesing, like, uh, like been away from home. Like, all right, right, I'm ready to wrap this up. 
like if it's a Thursday, Tuesday to Saturday show, mm-hmm. I'm like by by Friday, like Saturday morning. I'm like, all right, let's wrap this up. Right. Like, like <laughs> let's go or move on to the next thing. So, well, you're pretty lucky. And you also mentioned uh, Chad Daniels. I almost said his uh, his uh, Twitter name, Dad oh. Chaniels. <laughs> Dad Chaniels. <laughs> um, you guys live in a state or in town in a town where you have two nationally uh, known places: uh, Acme Comedy Club, which has always been voted one of the top, and also uh, Rick. Bronson's House of Comedy. That must be wonderful to live in a town where you have those uh, opportunities. Yeah, like it really was, man. Like I, I feel like the secret's out a little bit more, but like Minneapolis is a great comedy town, like, especially when I was starting back in like 2011, 2012. They used to call it like the land of features. They're like, dude, mm-hmm. there's like 60 people who can feature with the best of them out on the road because it's like yeah you do have your acmes you do have your house comedies you had your joke joints back in the day that were important for my kids like me or when i was starting out because i could see you know in my head like oh this is a real comic like you get older you're like oh okay i get it you just gotta you know move around at home or around the state but it's valuable they have stuff to offer and if you can listen and like i was lucky i started older like in the sense of I knew who I was a little bit more. So I feel like I was able to get to my comedic voice and like the social aspect. Like I was able to maneuver that because like I wasn't searching for a comedy friend group. You know, like a lot of people who start when they're 20, they're like, oh, okay, these are my peers. But it's like, yeah, I already have my friends. Like comedy is taking me away from my friends. So while I'm at comedy, like, you know, not saying that you don't develop relationships and stuff like that, but it's like high school. Like, it can get very mm-hmm. high schoolish, especially in the open mic scene. So I, I was lucky I was a little bit older to, like, not fall into a lot of that stuff because, like, you can get wrapped up and you're like, what have I been doing the last four years? Like, you've been arguing with other open micers instead of working on the craft and sending emails and getting booked and just, like, asking, oh, how do you get that? Like, so... Like, yeah, being in Minneapolis has been, was really good. Like, I always say, like, I'm a parasite, man. Like, I use Minneapolis. There's, like, there's points where you could get up three times a night if you hustle. And if you have, like, Mm -hmm. enough pull to be like, hey, could I get up early so I can go hit these other spots? Like, I remember it used to be, like, 15 spots a week, you know, and go get spots. And, like, you could go see all these awesome comedians for free. You know, or, you know, just wait, go on a Tuesday and wait till everybody goes in and, like, ask the manager, like, hey, can I watch in the back? Like, yeah, we were lucky. Like, I figured, like, I was very lucky to be in Minneapolis um, while starting comedy with all those clubs and even clubs like Sisyphus, mm-hmm. you know, right now are bringing people in and it's, you know, a really great room. And you have good audiences out here as well, too. Yeah. So, um, that, yeah, that was, uh, definitely a benefit. Like, yeah, being around, you know, guys like Chad Daniels and Kevin Bozeman and, you know, you've seen Hannibal before he gets right. super, super famous and, 
you know, just you get access to guys. Like I remember my first week at House of Comedy, I was working with Michael Che. And oh. both, yeah. you know, both of us were just kind of like, all right, yeah, we still figuring it out. He was a young headliner, but it was like, yo, I got to spend a week with Che. We got along and stuff's cool. And like, like even like Tom Segura was my first week at Acme. I had no Ooh. idea who he was. Yeah. Like I had no idea who he was, but everybody was like, dude, you're working with Segura. That's you. But I was like, I don't know who this white dude is. <laughs> like, and I'm happy I did it, you right. know, because I just met him as him. And it's like, yo, we became friends. Right. Not just like, oh, and like this is like right before the crazy ascend. Mm -hmm. But it was like, oh, yeah, like I can look like we got text messages, stupid stuff going back and forth from like 2014 and it, it just wasn't like oh the comedy thing is just like yo he's a cool dude we get along we like the same music and sports and stuff like that where like now i'm like oh man sometimes i wish i would have been like bugged him a little more like hey man let me do some more shows <laughs> with you but it's also like yo i can send him a text message and he texts back right you know so i figure like you know stuff like that's important in or important but it's it happens because of all the clubs that we have here and all the people who shoot specials and like Dave Chappelle will come here, you know, once every year and a half, two years. And it's like, damn, I've been able to be in a room with Chappelle. Right. Cause it's like, you know, Minneapolis is, you know, a, a hub for a lot of, a lot of good comedians um, who come through here. And it's, you know, if, if you, you have access to it. You know, they say that we are very uh, comedy sophisticated, so that's a good thing. And yeah. um, I was I interviewed Adrian Washington, and Adrian said that he got to be back back scene with Chappelle, and he thought it was the greatest thing ever because it was you know you discuss comedy, but you also discuss the other things that Dave bring to the table and how yeah. deep Dave is. Now Dave was one of those people who. Um, started at like 15 or 16 and had no peers basically in the business. I mean, his yeah. closest peers were still like, you know, three to four years older than him. So yeah. it's like a very strange world. And, you know, we've basically, if you really paid attention, we've basically watched Dave grow up. <laughs> yeah. Not only as a comic, but as a person. So it's very... Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, that is crazy because it's like, even like I can still tell like when I'm doing a bit or something new, I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's that's Dave territory, because it's just like I've consumed so much of him, like early on and like Chris Rock and stuff like that. It's like, oh shit, it seeps in, right. but you know, like it it happens, like it seeps, like people tell sit seeps in tons of people's comedy and stuff like that but to be able to find your own voice but yeah man like it's uh it yeah between like radio and all the people you end up meeting in the music industry and entertainment like i met like charlie murphy and just hung out mm -hmm. charlie murphy just came to our radio station we didn't know we didn't have a book right. he just popped up and like hung out for three hours <laughs> we're like <laughs> All right, damn dude, just hanging out with Charlie Murphy. <laughs> yep. And then he gave us like a boost to a show and we hung out with him afterwards and stuff like that. Like random stuff like that happens. Like I'll say I've been lucky to be in a lot of the right rooms. Right. You know. Well um, yeah. 
No, I was just going to say with my 22 years at KQ, basically the same thing in my five years on Tom's podcast. Basically, you know, I got to interview all type of comics and actors and actresses. But my my favorite, because I would be in on Fridays on the podcast, and that was Comic yeah. Day, was just to be in the room with comics and to talk about the talk about their lifestyle and the craft and just see how interesting they are and their their backgrounds and whatnot and you know i just can't get un, you know enough of it but um also mentioning kq um you and i and it was destined that you and i would meet because we have so much stuff in common because you were talking about um uh getting up and doing things for tv or whatnot and spending 15 minutes and then waiting another four minutes and this and yeah. i was a paid extra in the mighty ducks 2 movie and that's oh. a one day shoot yeah. i played an assistant coach for team trinidad it was the mm -hmm. opening oh basically the opening scene to the movie opening game to the movie and it was go up to the ice and spend 20 minutes filming something and then back down in the locker room with ba yeah. basically I became a babysitter that day cuz it was back in the locker room with the kids <laughs> on the team yeah. and they left me in charge <laughs> me and the other guys who were playing coach of, <laughs> of the team left us in the locker room making sure the kids behaved yeah, with just some kids like that's <laughs> organized chaos they're just like Hey, some dudes that answer the call. Hey, watch these twenty kids real quick while right. we make a ma major motion picture. Like, yeah, like it's a whole bunch of sitting up waiting. Go do this, go do that. Like, I shot a commercial this week, oh, and okay. the commercial might be fifteen seconds. Yeah, like I was there for eight hours. Yeah, you know, like eight hours. I was like, I have three lines. Like, <laughs> I was like, and there's five lines in this commercial. I was like, but it's eight hours. Yeah. You know, and most of it is, all right, hold it this, hold it this, try it this way, try it this way. All right, sit down. We got to do this. We got to fix the lighting. Um, Like, yeah, so it's like a lot of hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. And it's like some dudes just, like, really can't take it. Like, I, I get sometimes how, like, actors are the way that they are because it's like, all right, you gotta stay in that mind frame, but it's like you're, it's at little clips, right? You know, and I was like, oh yeah, I can see how they can lose their mind. They gotta play somebody else five minutes, ten minutes at a time, over and over and over and over, and then all right, stop, get out of character, go wait in the trailer for two, three hours, <laughs> right? Come back out for ten minutes, like yeah, like it's a weird, it's a it's a weird life being in entertainment. Yeah, um, if you so choose to do that stuff. That is that is the so-called glamorous world of acting and comedy and whatnot. You know, I spent forty years working in college athletics, and yeah. um, there was a lot of hurry up and wait in that. I was an equipment manager, so it was set everything up, and then yeah. go stand on the sideline. Yeah, and it was. Something something breaks and now you you you're thrust into action, yeah. And then you you fix it and every and then the pl athlete moves on, and the coach is out of your ear and then it's back to the sideline and stand there and wait and then you know the event or game is over with and it's like, get everything packed up and 
and yep. back to the site so you can now clean it and do it all over again. And, you know, the travel. Sometimes we'd be on planes. And yeah. once in a while we'd be lucky enough to get a charter flight. Or, you know, half the yeah. time you were on a, I was on a bus going somewhere for <laughs> six to ten hours, you know, yeah. with these young college athletes who, you know, they just want to get there and they didn't want to play. And, you know, yeah, they're studying on the bus, but you can tell the energy was just flowing through the bus. Like, we want to get there. Let's go. Let's ha make this happen. And it's like, so I, I, I get all that. Yeah. Like, I was always surprised by those dudes who could actually study and actually did study on the bus. Like, sometimes, like, I bring a book. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to try to read this for 35 mm -hmm. minutes. But it's like. Yeah, and I'm going to fall asleep or watch Friday <laughs> or listen to the top of again or talk crap. Like, But, yeah, like that sports production, bro. Like I did some hosting with the with NBA Nations Tour and NBA Canada and stuff like that. Right. And it was – I did both. Like I was a project manager, but I was also a host. So we'd have to, like, be up at 5 in the morning. I remember we were working the All-Star game in Houston. And lobby call was 4.30 a.m. And it's like, yeah. if you ain't in that truck, you, I've, so what for you? Mm -hmm. Like, we ain't waiting. Find your way to the venue. Yes. But then, like, all that, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait, get everything going. Everything gets going, and you can relax for a minute. Then something breaks, and you got to go fix that. So I was like, I was doing all that stuff on top of hosting events and, like, talking with these athletes and all this stuff. But it's like, stuff everybody else really doesn't realize like anytime there's something there's 30 people who put it together or five who put it together without you even thinking about it or noticing it so it's like you got to give kudos to a lot of the behind the scenes people and uh you know the the people who who make stuff run man it's mm -hmm. That's not an easy life because they're on the road too. Yes, you know they're on the road. They're on the road with us, but I kind of feel like that's a fraternity, right? Like when you get into that world, it's a bit of a fraternity. And similar to comedy, is like the fraternity aspect's what I like. Like I don't get the locker room anymore. Like, do I miss football? Do I miss getting hit? No, do I miss the bus? I miss <laughs> right. hanging out with the guys. Yes, you know, like I, I miss that stuff. Like that's a lot of what comedy is like over the pandemic like yeah i miss being on stage but i miss like the hang mm -hmm. you know like good hangs are always like i had one the other day and i was like oh my god this felt like 2014 like you know when the people who were my peers are still around like people were home and it's like oh this felt this felt good like yeah like that's the stuff that kind of keeps you going and if you can kind of hang on to that like that's the special part like that's the hardest part about not doing it is like not being away like not being around the people who you like doing stuff with and kind of like-minded i neglected to ask what position you played uh i was a mix of a hybrid like an outside linebacker and every once in a while defensive end okay on just like pass rush specialty but mostly i was playing outside linebacker how big are you i was on on the sheet on the stat sheet mm -hmm. man i was six two two twenty five in real life i was a hair above six feet if i pick my fro out right about like my favorite playing weight i figured was like 215 220 okay um but yeah like i was able to 
to uh, I always played defensive line because I was tall as a kid. So they're like, oh, you're gonna be six six, play defensive line. So when you get to college, you'll be ready. I was like, dude, I should have been playing middle linebacker this whole time. <laughs> right. Like, but you know, I had enough speed to make it work, um, and enough like hands and a little bit of football knowledge to know how to you know rush a quarterback or try to get around the offensive tackle or, you know, not let the running back get all the way to the edge. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be my spot. Like, yeah, man, he went on the B gap. Yeah, he got 20, he got 25 <laughs> yards, but he didn't get it on that top sweep. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I bet, yo, you need to talk to your tackle, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you about, uh, before I ask you about Wanda, ask you about uh, this new trend trend that's happening in HCBU uh, college football, which is hiring former NFL players. What do you yeah. think of that trend? Um, I, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Like anything that brings attention to HBCUs, like I'm, like I said, I went to one and I want to change my experience for the world. Like there were, like, yeah, there's differences in stuff. Like, I played there for two years, and then I ended up at Wisconsin River Falls for a year. I broke my foot after Florida, so I was like, all right, I'll just go to River Falls. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to the pros. And, like, you know, like, they had different facilities and stuff like that was different. But I was like, when I was at HBCU, it just felt different. Like, I didn't necessarily feel kind of like a number, you know, which can happen at bigger universities and stuff like that. Like, shit, I was – I was on the Dean's list when I was at HBC. Okay. You know, and we had a coach who we, we didn't collectively love, but I feel like we kind of band together to kind of spite him. But at some point, like Malcolm Butler was in talks of becoming the next head coach at our school. And that can just bring people out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like, I mean, these guys know the game. Um, these HBC coaches know the game just as well as, you know, these big 10 coaches or this or that, they just don't have the resources. And I'm liking the trend of seeing these kids picking HBCUs. Cause they're like, listen, I'm gonna be here for two, three years. If I can go to a place where I feel a bit more comfortable culturally, you know, cause that's the thing people don't think about. Like you take a kid from a certain space and you put them somewhere else and I got to start abiding by those rules or those social norms, you know, like that can start to get to you, Mm -hmm. you know, especially if you're frustrated and you can't communicate with someone who actually really speaks your language. Like I feel like the advantage that a pro has coming in to coach younger kids, there's a little bit more of that automatic respect. Like, all right, you got to a place I would love to get to, you know, you have some information other people might not have. Yeah, I'm a I'm gonna pay attention to it. And I think like they know how to be players. They know how players think. You know, and I feel like it's a big relationship uh, based thing because that's where youth sports is right now. Like it's a lot of relationship based. Like, yo, do I feel comfortable with this coach? I can go anywhere that has a big big program. Like. You know, like you got guys who can be one and done. Now, I can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Am I going to enjoy my time? Right. You know, like, do I need to have the fanciest facilities? Not if I'm going to be in the league for two years. Like, <laughs> right. I can live in. <laughs> yeah. I can live in Jackson, Mississippi, because I know 
I, I'm still making it to the draft, you know? So yeah, like I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I was a recruited student. I was a recruited student manager slash student trainer, believe it or not. Yeah. And, um, that's how I wound up here at the university of Minnesota. And there was some culture shock for me when I first came yeah. here. It was like, Whoa, this is different. But you know, I, I, I hate to use the word assimilated, but I got used to it and um, and enough to the point where I decided this is home now. So yeah. and that was the fall of 1980. So I've been here, you know, all my adult life. So um, yeah. another quick question. How do you have any thoughts on the wild, wild west that has become college athletics? <laughs> <laughs> it- it's um that i mean it for me it's entertainment and like i know that there possibly could be some stuff on the on the backside like oh what are the ramifications of this or that but it's like fine let it happen let these kids like because here goes here goes the thing that i i get frustrated with with a lot of the talking heads and you know the sports channels where they you know kind of rip on these kids or just people who just talk about the culture it's like what did you think was going to happen when you let when when people and when i say you i'm just speaking in general but when you guys Mm -hmm. let aau take off like it does yeah when you guys start putting football camps in and prospect camps on television yeah. Like they're always trying to pick the best of the best or the best of the best and showcase them and treat them like stars, but then expect them to be amateurs mm-hmm. where it's like, dude, you guys are playing high school flag football on ESPN three. <laughs> and then you're going to be upset that this kid's like, yo, well, can I get something besides a t-shirt <laughs> or can I make money off of my name? Yeah. Like, cause that was like, you know, in college it was, it was bare bone. Like I was lucky cause I had a family who, you know, knew the ropes and was financial, um, financially smart. But even with that, there was, you know, a lot of ramen nights and, mm-hmm. and you know, like I was a dude kind of like trying to like feed teammates or something like that. Like, all right, right. my grandma's going to go to the store. What do we need for this floor? Like, it's like you hear like dudes who got in trouble at Ohio State for signing autographs to get a tattoo or mm-hmm. signing autographs to get money. Like that's insane that I can't make money off of me, but all the rest of you guys can. Right. And if I get hurt, I lose my scholarship. I lose my contract. I lose this or that. Like it's I'm not opposed to it. Like a good friend of mine is like I'm friends with the Suggs family and watching mm-hmm. like Jalen go through this stuff and right. Paige and all these guys who was like, you know, like half the draft cast from this year and past year. Well, I've seen them over at their house, like feeding them, you know, they're just kids. And like, we didn't like, you know, like, Oh, these are the athletes. These are just like our, my nephew's friends. But then being like, Oh yeah, in three years, this kid's going to be a millionaire or in high school. Like, it's like watching what happened with Minnehaha. It was basically like they were the Beatles of basketball, right? For a little bit, like they sold out the Target Center. Yes, the Timberwolves didn't sell out the Target Center. 
No, they like, don't. And let's not make no no bums about it. It was because of Bronny and Jalen. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you mean to tell me that these kids can draw 20,000 people and can't monetize some some type of way and people well the education should be that's your payment like it costs nothing for an athlete to sit in that class like as much as they can talk like especially like all these big school all these power schools like when they talk about like a scholarship well the cost of books are blah 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 they have the money for it. yeah like they they don't need whatever those guys who aren't on scholarship whatever that total amount of money is Let's say it's up to six hundred thousand to let these guys walk free. You can still do that. You have six, like a teacher, uh, a professor. If you have three hundred people in class, he's still going to teach. Mm-hmm. And if, like, I got, if it's three hundred and five, is he going to? Oh, that's too much. Like, no. Like these dudes are are scrambling and putting themselves in positions to try to get money a different type of way. Because some old rich, rich dudes like, no, you shouldn't get that. I want that. Like, and if it fails, fine, it fails. But like, what's the reason of opening up doors and doing all this stuff if you don't want these kids to walk through the door and choose their life? Like, let these kids choose their life. Like, we 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 created this monster. Like everyone who talked about participation award, these kids are a participation award generation. Everything's handed to them. Like I played sports my whole life and I never got a participation award right. from another kid. I got it from an adult. So yeah. like, I feel like these dudes who suck at analyzing, well, this and the pitfalls and what it should be like, you guys created this, you guys created this. And now the kids are taking control of what they've, you know, worked for or the position that you guys created for it. So it's like, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's it might be weird, it might be whatever, but that's evolution. That's life. Like what's the point of keep on going if you're gonna try to make everything the same or well I didn't get that. Yeah, I'm sorry. It mm-hmm. sucks. You were born at the wrong time. But it's kinda like old Chris Rock bit, you know what I mean? Like, oh I can't catch a cab. And he's like, My grandparents, I was the cab. Right. And then his grandparents <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like I I'm, I'm taking a left. Like, who taught you left? Like, you know what I mean? Like it just is what it is. Like by the time my kid gets to a point and I'm like, damn, you got access to all this. It's like, I'm not going to be upset about it. It's like, all right, cool. No, Great. I, I've, um, you know, the athletic departments do pay for their, uh, you know, pay their, pay everything if they're on a full ride or whatever. And yeah. then it, it, you know, in the big 10, they, the big 10 quietly did a lot of these things that are now, they didn't do the monetization of name and, and likeness, but like the uh, free technology for the athletes and yeah. um, the cost GIA of, bill, the co- right? The cost of living, you know, beyond the you know books tuition, yeah. you, know, you know, the other things, you know, travel back and forth, being able to um, actually have somewhat of a social life and this that and the other the normal cost to live in a town the big 10 quietly has been doing that for years yeah they never said anything about it and now <laughs> yeah, exactly now the rest of the college world has to join on and it's just you know 
you know, I go back and forth because I, you know, I was part of the people that would give them a five thousand dollar wardrobe every year. Yeah. And um, you know, I watched them not go to bed hungry when they were actually telling people they were going to bed hungry, unless they, yeah. you know. But you had to be a full ride athlete, and most of the most of the athletes at a university are not full ride athletes. They are. Yeah. They are partials. They are twenty five percent, or they're you know thirty percent, or fifty percent, or they're zero percent. You know they're totally just you know they're a walk on, and they're not you know they're not you know they get the clothing and they get the tutoring and they get to travel with their teammates and all that stuff, but they still have to pay for tuition and room and board and all those things. So it's quite. I would just wanted to see what your take on it. All right, my last question, so I can let you go on this nice Saturday. Yeah. Um, you were talking about Wanda Sykes. What in the world were you doing with Ron- Wanda Sykes? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have no idea. But like, here's how it happened. So Wanda Sykes and her partner Paige, um, they produced a show for Epics, like maybe two, two, three years ago, called Unprotected Sets. Okay. Where they just recorded like, oh, what's it like as a night at a comedy room or whatever. I was just an opener, but it was like I kind of knew how to be on set. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew how to be out the way. I knew how not to complain. Like a lot of the, the stuff that you know, being an extra. Like, right. hey, we need pickup shots. We need this or that. Like, I knew how to do that. But some of the other comedians, like this is their first time. They're thinking it's going to be something else. You know, like frustration sets in. And I was like, nope, I'm not frustrating nobody. Hey, nice to meet you. And you'll know, shake the grip's hand, know the PA's hand, make sure he has my number. If they're like, you don't got to wait, you don't got to wait a long time to go find me. Right. You know, like I'm not in the parking lot smoking cigarettes where they're like, oh, we need pickup shots. All right, well, Greg, you're around. Come do this. Cool. I can do it. And then so I met Paige, the producer, and, um, She's like, oh, I've heard of you from Tracy Ashley. Tracy Ashley, another Minneapolis space comic who's skyrocketing Mm -hmm. and doing tons of stuff, which I think he needs way more pub and praise than she gets, especially from being from here. But, you know, like little bones like that. Oh, Tracy mentioned you. When I come to Minneapolis, say hi or whatever. Cool. So I don't want to mess up Tracy's rep. So I was on that set and I did my thing. And, you know, like I did the sets and Paige was like, Hey, I like you. I'll keep you in mind for something. You just shake your hand. Thank you. I appreciate it. You hear that a lot, but then, you know, fast forward to the pandemic on my way to interview for some job. I didn't want to do. Hey, I got your number from Paige. Oh snap. I haven't seen Paige since two years ago. Yeah. Her and Wanda Sykes are doing the show. So that's how I ended up on that staff. I don't know what's going to happen with the show. <laughs> um, like I've like my part of it is wrapped. Um, but like, that's one thing I had to kind of get over. Cause you're like, Oh, shows get shelved and you're understanding like, Oh, it's not just them. It's 20 other people making all these decisions. But, like, for me, it was crazy because I was like, dude, I was in staff meeting with – I mean, granted, we were remote, so it was Zoom, but it was like Wanda Sykes laughed at something I said or something I wrote. And, like, our head writer was Lance Crother, who played Pootie Tang. 
And I know it's a joke to a lot of people, but dude, Pootie Tang is one of my most, it's me and my mom's favorite movie to just put on and watch. Right. And I know it's a silly, crazy, dumb Mm -hmm. movie, but in my head, I was like, I love it. Like I wrote a 10 page paper on the social, on the social, and I just found it. Like I was moving and went through and I was like, because like Louis C.K. was in town. I was telling my wife, I was like, you know, Louis wrote. Hootie Tangs. He's like, what? I was like, he did. I was like, despite everything, I still got to be like, hey, Louie, I know you said this almost killed your career, but this movie molded my high school comedy. (laughs) And like, Hootie Tang was my head writer and it took everything in me not to say like, shout out Tang! (laughs) (laughs) It was like, I just wanted, yep, I'm signing that pity on the money kind. Like, (laughs) the last meeting I knew I had with him, I dropped it on him. And he's just like, damn you, Greg. I was like, why'd I take? <laughs> so, like, yeah, that part is crazy and fun. Like, I never would have thought about that. Like, one of my first Instagram pictures was a picture of Wanda Sykes' marquee mm-hmm. when I, at the State Theater in, like, 2012. I'm like, yo, go and see Wanda Sykes excited. And then to be like, oh, shit, I got a check signed by Wanda Sykes. Like, and, you know, who knows, because they produce tons of stuff. And, you know, like uh, the producer page, she's uh, – we have a good relationship, and she's always kind of looking out for me. So I don't know if there's any kind of looking dude, like women, women, man. I'm going to tell you, like a lot of the good stuff I've gotten is because of good relationships with women right? comics who – they don't see you as like their threat or their peer. Like guys will be like, Oh yeah, I'll give you that number one day. But like, if especially like a grown woman, if she wants to help, she's going to help. And as long as you know, you're reliable, you know, and I'm not going to embarrass nobody, man. It's been, that's been like, you know, a huge help and something that I'm glad that I learned and was installed in a little bit early of like, oh, women get stuff done. Like, women are killing comedy right now. Right. And it's like, gratefully so. Like, yeah, so, nah, it, it, was, it was cool. There's a couple wine o'clocks. You know, like, what time is it where you It don't matter. Like, oh, okay, one day in here get bucked. But it was, like, and I kind of had, like, a twisted sense of humor with some stuff. Right. And, like, she would be like, she would love it. She'd be like, yeah, push that too. I love it. And like the other producers would be shaking their head like, Wanda, we can't show a clip of a person getting hit by a scooter and falling down a storm drain. But I was like, she loved, I was like, that's my clip. I was like, that's my joke. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that part, that feels good when it's like, oh, okay. She, you know, we, yeah. Like, yeah, it's been cool when I work on another show ever again. Like, I'm happy to be like, yo, I can say a name and most people are like, oh, I know who that is. Well, you know, to have that stamp. Right. It's kind of cool. It almost, she, from what, you know, her on screen presence almost has a like motherly auntie feel to her. Yeah. Is that how she is? Yeah. I mean, yeah, her vibe is still very much. Like, because a lot of it was, you know, frustrations with label. But, yeah, like, it's still very chill and cool. And, like, yeah, it is just, like, like can I have a hug? <laughs> like, and then, like, yeah, get your ass out of here. Like, oh, my God. Like, when she, every once in a while, her voice would, would get to that. But, like, I saw a lot of, like, you know, like, boss Wanda. 
Um, but yeah, there very there very much was that like still warmth. Um, yeah, that 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 uh that black lady warmth. Um, that's that's good. That that resonates uh, from Wanda, and just always like the funniest person in the room. Like there's a very, I would say that she's a top five scene stealer. Mm-hmm. Like you're not gonna get even if she has one or two lines or just a look. Like it really doesn't get funnier. Like she just crushes on curb, and it's like you got JB Smooth right. on that show, and like Wanda steals scenes, and JB Smooth is a scene stealer. Yeah, like it doesn't get any better than being able to be around that and kind of seeing, uh, kind of seeing that uh, in the background. And like, yes, they work their butt off, man. They have multiple shows on Netflix and just doing more and more and more. So yeah, nah, it was uh, it was an awesome experience. Well, I'm happy for you, and I wish you nothing but the best with the. Um... Uh, the young one coming, as I tell uh, people that I've mentored who are now having children, uh, it is the greatest roller coaster ride of your life. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, up and down, angry, happy, sad, <laughs> all the, all the emotions, you know, yeah. come about with the child. So, and then, yeah. can you tell uh, my listeners how they can follow you? Uh, yeah, man, I'm on all the socials. Um, Instagram and Twitter is Say G Cole, S A Y G C O L E. Um, and then also on Instagram, I have Coleman Comedy. Uh, Facebook, you can just find me, Greg Coleman the second, or and I have Coleman Comedy stuff, which I'm about to start amping up because I got some. Uh, I have an album coming out on September 1st uh, okay. called Dad's Garage. Uh, so that's going to be available on all the platforms, and hopefully on Sirius. So if you if uh, if it's in you, you know, stream it. Tell somebody about it. You don't even got to listen to it. You can just press play. I would love that two dollars in ninety five cents. Once I would get once I get ten thousand plays. Like so, if you could just put it on repeat on your on your backup phone. I know everybody's got a backup phone. Like you're like, oh, I just use it for the Wi-Fi. Like while the kids are sleeping, that thing's like that thing's charging. Just put my album on repeat on Spotify. It costs you nothing, and it's. I just want to buy my baby diapers. So if y'all could help me buy my baby diapers, so I don't have to, you know, to uh, go the college football route and sell jerseys for <laughs> Similac. Are you going to record that album in a club or are you doing that in a studio or? Uh, so the album's already recorded. Oh, okay. So yeah. So I was going back and forth. I recorded it late 2019. Um, I actually recorded two albums, so I'm going to have another one coming out very soon after, but you know, um, so I'm going to drop those and then hopefully I, uh, by the top of the year, I'll have another album and with some visuals to go along it, maybe on one of these streaming platforms. Uh, with possibly, yeah, it's, I hate being this guy. I got something in the works. It's a little too early to talk about it, but, you know, they're... Uh, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just really trying to push as much content out there um, as possible and try to get, like, the other side of, like, hey, man, this is a business. Treat it like a business. And, you know, just trying to get stuff out. So... 
yeah, I'm excited about this and you know, kind of whatever else is coming. Like who who knows who knows with it. <laughs> or again, I want to thank you for uh, being on this morning, and uh, you threw out some names, and I'm going to do some digging to have them as possible guests. It's like, well, why why haven't even thought of this person and that person? So, oh, yeah, local sure. comics from here. That's like, what am I doing? So I appreciate that too. And yeah, like, and also you mentioned Kevin Bozeman. I'm gonna yep. be with Kevin Bozeman. Uh, I think the 23rd and the 24th. Yeah, of he's, August. He's he's, he's re- yeah he's gonna be yeah he's doing his album. Yeah, at at yeah. Acme. I gotta reach out to him and um and uh, make sure I attend that, even if it's just me by myself. I'm, yeah, man. I'm doing it, damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I I just I started going to movies by myself yep. now. Like it's a very grown man type of type of vibe. But I was like, oh yeah, I like it. Yeah, right. Get all the popcorn. You know, <laughs> you know, got share popcorn or nothing like that. Like I'm all about that. Uh, going to see a movie at 2 p.m. and then being home, like beating the wife home uh she gets home at like 4 30 oh what's your day like oh i got so much done i got right. so much done i sent three emails and i went and watched suicide squad by myself <laughs> she must hate you <laughs> it really like i, re- I sometimes i do feel bad because like you know she works in in uh in education like what right. i did but i was like yeah she was like my job yesterday was to shoot a commercial She's like, what were you doing? And I was like, yeah, I just shoot a commercial. And it was like in a house that had a basketball court and just all this crazy stuff. And she's like, oh, well, where's it going to air? Where's it going to be? Like, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just, I know. Right. Yeah, I just, I just did it. I don't know where the check's going to go. She's like, I can't understand. Why am I going to tell? I was like, I don't. It's just work. She's <laughs> like, even stuff like this, these podcasts, and I had to find out you were doing radio. I was like, it's just work. <laughs> like, so. All right, man. Yeah. I appreciate you. And uh, all right, I like appreciate I said, it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I just want people to know, and other people who may listen to this or may see a posting, Greg reached out to me on Facebook, and I didn't see it. My brother saw it, who took a screenshot and sent oh, well, me the thank screenshot. You, he's, you know, he's like, "Hey, dummy, <laughs> this guy wants to be on your podcast." I'm like, what? What are you do? and I yeah. looked and I was like, oh yeah, I know Greg. <laughs> yeah, man. See that? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the stuff I have to start doing now. Is just like, hey, I have to reach out instead of just kind of being, you know, too cool for the room and whatever's right. for me. It's like, no, man, just ask. And now we just had a fun time, good conversation, and hopefully, you know, when I get to St. Louis, some of the listeners uh, will catch me at Helium. Yeah, my my brothers for sure. My brothers will fall out once they hear the part about your uh uncle vince they're gonna be like what oh, yeah. what the-? <laughs> they're really gonna be mad at me since you haven't been on until now so oh, yeah. thanks again man i appreciate it and uh good luck all right i appreciate it thank you so much yeah take care bye bye, bye. Congratulations to all the Minnesota businesses that scraped through the last year. It sure hasn't been easy, but we've done it together. And while we certainly need to move forward, it's good to reflect on what we've been through and the many losses. 
Here at Bradshaw and Bryant, we held a lot of Zoom meetings, increased our phone calls, and have done our best to keep up with all the changes while continuing to provide quality work. We'd like to thank everyone that turned to us with their personal injury and criminal needs, as well as the courtrooms for bringing the community back together to serve justice. We look forward to being part of Minnesota's growth and success for many years to come. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything till you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Seeking justice for the injured, Bradshaw and Bryant. J.B. is my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African American, black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.